0: Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Morano.
1: The other side of midnight presents the Midnight Files.
0: Night in the desert Shooting stars across the sky This magical journey Will take us on a ride Filled with the longing Searching for the truth Will we make it till tomorrow Will the sun shine on you night in the desert and we're listening, Ooh, we're listening to you. this is the other side of midnight I'm Frank Morano we spent a lot of time as uh, you no doubt realize talking about aliens and UFOs and I really try to talk to a wide range of experts on this program, Uh, people that have witnessed things, people that are subject matter experts, people that have worked with the government, journalists, people that call themselves debunkers, people that uh, run the gamut of different ideas when it comes to UFOs, because when it comes to the question of UFOs and whether or not there's a chance that extraterrestrials have visited to this planet, I have no idea, none, but I'm so curious And I'm so eager to learn. And I'm just continually blown away at the number of people that have had serious, very real, documented experiences. And you might think, maybe they were all crazy. Well, there was a very well-respected psychiatrist. I believe he was on the faculty of Harvard. John Mack. John Mack interviewed... All these people that claim to have been abducted by aliens, he found they were not crazy. And there's a fascinating new book by a guy that we um, have talked to before. He's become one of the real experts in this field. He's a veteran UFO researcher, and he's a field investigator with an organization called MUFON. The name of the book is Humanoids and High Strangeness, 2020. 20 true UFO encounters. Each of these stories has one thing in common. They're all amazing. Here to tell us a little bit about it is Preston Dennett. Good morning, Preston. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, Preston, give folks a little bit of a, a reminder as to your background. How does one become a veteran UFO researcher? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, one has to work at it. That's certainly true. I came into this field as a skeptic, but found out that my brother had seen a UFO. In fact, a number of members of my family, friends, coworkers had had encounters, which really knocked me over. This was way back in 1986 I found this out. So I started doing my research, found MUFON, the Mutual UFO network, took their field investigator test. Which wasn't easy, by the way. A couple hundred questions. Wow. Lots of science in it. Oh yeah, you had to learn about photography, oh meteorology, all kinds of subjects. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just kind of snowballed
0: from there. Um. So, tell me about this book. I know you've written a number of books before. A lot have uh, sold very well. Humanoids in high strangeness. What uh, what are you hoping people take out of this, and why did you choose to chronicle these 20 stories?
1: Yeah, well, I wanted to pick stories. Well, yeah, like you said, each one of these chapters does present a case in which people have seen humanoids of some kind. There's a huge variety of beings that people see, so I wanted to really highlight that, as well as the fact that this isn't just about entity encounters. There's a lot of paranormal stuff that goes along with it, and this often gets edited out of other people's accounts, so I really wanted to highlight that as well. These are cases from all over the world, Canada, across the U.S., got a case from Argentina, Peru, let's see, England, France, Germany. So really, this is
0: it shows that this is a worldwide phenomenon. Wow. All right, well, let's talk about some of these encounters that you chronicle here. A mother and son from Ohio had an interesting experience that you write about. Who were these folks? What happened?
1: Yeah, a very interesting case involving, well, the main witness is Richard Simon and his mother, Ines. They had gone to a hypnotherapist, her to quit smoking, he to solve a problem with insomnia that had plagued him since age seven and under hypnosis she spontaneously recalled being taken on board a craft and she saw her son there um he did not know this he was in the other room in the waiting room and went in to see the hypnotist to deal with the insomnia and was taken back to age seven where he was pulled on board a craft physically examined by the now famous gray et's really short ones, one about five feet tall and one about seven feet tall, which is actually is not unusual, but he described it in detail. And later, of course, they compared notes, he and his mother, Ines, and it matched perfectly. But what I love about this case is she also remembered being contacted at age seven. He, of course, grew to an adult, had children, and his seven-year-old child came running up to him and pointed to the TV where grays were being featured and said, Daddy, Daddy, that, she pointed to a gray, that's the thing that's coming into my room and poking my nose. she has been having real problems with nosebleeds. And get this, she grows up as children, and this is just a couple years ago, her seven-year-old child starts complaining about the monkey man that's looking in her window and then coming into her room and describes
0: grays. So we have four generations here of people who all who had contact at age seven. That's really wild, Preston. So why does that happen, do you think? I mean, um, there are certain people, skeptics in our audience that are going to hear that story and say, all right, well, you know, one child is just kind of mimicking the delusions of their parents or or grandparents. Based on your research, is that common? Do do families tend to have repeated visits across the generations by extraterrestrials?
1: Absolutely, this does seem to be generational. In at least fifty seventy percent of the cases, wow! And he
0: did keep it quiet.
1: Yeah, he did did not tell his children, and his daughter, of course, did not tell her child. So that explanation that you know this is carried on. Whose stories they heard just doesn't hold water. It is absolutely generational. I hear it all the time. And it's one of the questions I always ask. Do you have anyone else in your family who's had encounters, specifically parents or grandparents? or I mean, sometimes it's uncles or what have you. But this does seem to track genetic lines. We think that's the reason they're
0: interested in genetics. Preston, you refer to the grays. Uh, based on your research... How many documented types of extraterrestrial species do you believe have interacted with with humans, modern humans?
1: Yeah, that's a difficult question to answer because it just seems to be infinite. I will say that there are some prominent types. They're all humanoid, for one thing. I find that super fascinating with profound implications. But we have greys, human-looking praying mantis, little blue beings, tall whites, just strange humanoids of all kinds, short little hairy dudes, and it really goes on and on. But yeah, all humanoid, very much like us, which I think has profound implications in that some of them look just like us. What does that mean? I mean, what is our relationship to them? Probably a little closer than we might think, because certainly that's the message many contactees get. We are you. You are us. We share a common heritage.
0: One of the things I like about your book and the stories that you choose to chronicle is there's such an interesting mix of people from literally all over the world, not just the United States. Interesting story of um, two young boys from Canada who met a very mysterious UFO contactee. Tell me about the story from our neighbor to the north.
1: Yeah, this is a long one, so I will shorten it up, but it involves two gentlemen, Carter and Jackson, those are pseudonyms, who at age 14, one of them had a spontaneous out-of-body experience, and that got them very interested in that subject. And back in those days, they did a lot of hitchhiking to get from place to place, and Jackson uh, is picked up by this trucker who, when he enters the truck, (laughs) this gentleman who is an obese, Man calls out his name, says, hey, Jackson. So how's it doing with the astral projection? Now, the weird thing is Jackson did not know this man. Uh, He introduced himself as Peter and seemed to know all about Jackson. And this was the gentleman who turned out to be a UFO contactee, sort of talking about UFOs and saying that he was in contact with them. And long story short, he was teaching them all about psychic abilities and things like this when they had a face-to-face encounter with a gray, both of them separately. One that was really interesting to me was Carter, who was walking across a bridge. This is outside of Ontario, Canada, and saw someone standing in a parking lot about 100, 200 feet away, and instantly could see it was not a human being. It was a little gray. He was quite startled and taken aback physically, and this gray was watching them. They had locked gazes, and as soon as Carter kind of staggered back, the little gray mimicked him in a very human way. And that caught his attention, so he kind of thrust his head forward and looked at the gray curiously. And the darn gray did the same exact thing. But so he said it was really playful and kind of mimicking him in a very friendly way and sort of gave him a human aspect to Carter. But, yeah, it's a long, involved story, and very interesting.
0: If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Preston Dennett. He's a veteran UFO researcher and uh, author of the new book, Humanoids and High Strangeness, 20 True UFO Encounters. It's available on Amazon or wherever you order your books. I'm not going to go through all these stories, Preston, because I want to encourage people to buy the book, but um, there was a very interesting story out of the state of Uh, New Mexico, a little girl. uh, She had a very interesting encounter with an extraterrestrial or two. What exactly happened to this little girl in New Mexico?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite cases, her name is Sandra, age eight. This is 1947, by the way. And if you know the subject, that's the time the Roswell UFO crash. She thinks her father may have been involved because they were called there. This was the same area, Albuquerque, or certainly close to it. At any rate, this is one morning she's biking to her friend's house, about a mile away, and goes missing. Her parents can't find her anywhere, and they're crisscrossing the highway several times. finally do find her, but what happened to her is she recalls biking down this highway. A craft drops down. It's not super big. It covers the width of the highway. It's metallic, a saucer-shaped craft. A door opens, and she sees a tall, bug-like being. Now, mind you, she's eight, but super smart. She's very precocious, 50-grade, so she knows what she's looking at. Uh, not in terms of it being a UFO, because there wasn't a whole lot of talk about them back then. But it was not normal. And she walks up to this door, and it's a mantid, what we would call a mantis praying mantis type being, and about six feet tall or so, very friendly, kind of encourages her to come into the craft, which she does. And she's surrounded by short, little, what we now know are greys. She didn't realize it back then, but it was a pretty quick encounter. It took her on board, gave her a little tour of the craft. There wasn't much in there, rounded walls, indirect lighting like we often hear. She looked out the window, saw a star field, but what's interesting to me about this case is this mantis introduced itself and said, you can call me mother, Uh, I'm your mother is what it said, which puzzled her to say the least. But they took her to the center of the craft where where there was this device, like a television, but it put out a hologram, a holograph in full color, about two feet wide, which showed scenes of war and they told her this would happen. There were tanks and guns and soldiers fighting. And they said, you need to warn people about wars, that this is the wrong path, that this is really dangerous for all humanity. And, of course, she's only eight years old and thinking, why are you telling me this? But this is their number one message. This is what they tell people over and over again. And that was the first of many encounters she had.
0: Uh, The question I think a lot of people are going to be asking, Preston, is how do we know these stories are true? How do we know people aren't um, mistaking what they're seeing or just making something up or suffering from some sort of a, a delusion? How do we know this in the cases that you're chronicling here? Well, certainly we have some clue that they're not lying.
1: I always vet the witness, get referrals. Uh, They often give details that aren't super well known, that are very consistent. For example, in Sandra's case, she said the object was quite small, maybe 20 feet wide, but inside it was at least twice the size on the inside. That's sort of an anomaly, but we hear that all the time. These stories are very consistent. Some do come with physical evidence. In the case involving the family members, Uh, Richard Simon and his wife, Ines, they have medical proof of what appears to be Mm. an implant. So there is actual physical evidence in some of these cases. But, yeah, they're very consistent. They're coming from all over the world. Uh, There's many multiple witness cases. There's a lot of reasons for
0: us to know that this is absolutely real. That is wild. Preston, other than um, sharing some very interesting stories with the public when they read this book, and I've been enjoying reading all these stories and found them uh, quite eye-opening, what are you hoping people take away from this? Are you hoping to persuade anyone here, or is this more of an audience, um, a a book that's intended for an audience that already believes that we're not alone in the universe? What are you hoping people get from this?
1: Well, I know there's a lot of people out there having these experiences. Studies have shown that this is perhaps as common as 1 in 40, 1 in 50 people. So we're talking millions of people having these experiences with no resources, no recourse to go to to find answers. That's one reason. I think it's certainly an important subject that has the potential to change the way people think about ourselves and our place in this planet. That's another. It's just darn interesting as well. I think people need to know that this is going on.
0: Preston, last question. A lot of people look at what NASA said on Thursday of last week, where they encourage people to come forward with their sightings, where they said they're looking to hire uh, basically a, a new officer just in charge of UAP sightings, coupled with the changes that the Pentagon has made in reporting UAP and these congressional hearings, and a lot of people uh, in the UFO community are of the belief that um, the government is very close to full disclosure about what they may already know. My two-part question for you, Preston, is one, how much do you believe the government already knows about this situation, and two, do you think we're on the precipice of really getting some sort of major confirmation from some sort of government authority?
1: Well, I sure hope so. Honestly, I don't think they're ever going to be fully truthful or transparent, because I do believe they know a whole lot more than they're saying. I think they do know about Roswell, which they've denied. I think they do know about the Malmstrom incident in Montana, 1967, where UFOs came down and shut down our nuclear missiles. They've denied any knowledge of that. They're talking about simple sightings and claiming not to know what they are and that they need more data. This is a subject that's been studied for 80 years. There's enough data out there to prove that it's real. I think they do know absolutely what's going on. The recent congressional hearings were certainly interesting in that Congress members said unequivocally, UFOs are real, some of us have seen them, there is a cover-up. I thought that was really strong rhetoric, which really surprised me, but it wasn't disclosure. We haven't had really any steps towards disclosure yet, just some photographs. I think they have the, the craft, the bodies, and I don't think we'll be seeing that anytime soon. And to me, that's the end game of disclosure. So we'll see how this rolls out, but they haven't told the truth yet. They're not telling the truth now. So based on their track record, I'm a little jaded.
0: Fair enough, Preston. We're going to have to end it there. I appreciate the time, and uh, let's talk again soon. Good luck with the book. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. If you want to check out the book, again, the title is Humanoids and High Strangeness, 20 True UFO Encounters. Comments, questions, thoughts, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight.